and I'm really grateful to be here with you and get to talk with you guys this morning. I'm pretty excited about it. If we haven't met before, I would love the opportunity to meet you, so catch me afterwards, say hi, introduce yourself. I would love to get to know you better. Uh, for me personally, my story, I want to share part of that today, and it starts with the fact that I grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, you can feel sorry for me later. Um, <laughs> But being a pastor's kid growing up meant several things. One of those things that it meant was that there was one thing I knew about life, and it was that I knew that I never wanted to be a pastor. So God has an interesting sense of humor with that. Uh, but there's other things. Being a pastor's kid also meant that I was in church, I felt like, constantly. Uh, several times a week, three, four times a week, for hours at a time. And my dad was talking most of those times. So as a pastor's kid, you have to, like, train yourself to tune your parents out as, as a normal part of life. Callie, don't, don't do that. Uh, so I had to find something else to do because I, I, I just couldn't listen to my dad that much uh, throughout my life. So what I would do in those times of being in the church nonstop was I would pick up my Bible and I would just start to read through my Bible. I started with kind of the important stories, the stories that everybody knows, uh, but before long I was just diving into all the weird stuff, right? <laughs> like uh, if you've ever flipped through the Bible, you know there's a lot of weird stories in there, and uh, I found that, that those were very interesting to me, like as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, and there's a lot of stories in the Bible that are so weird that probably six-year-olds and seven-year-olds shouldn't be reading them, right? But as soon as I found out there was interesting stuff in the Bible, I just knew that I had to read all of it. And that's kind of how my personality works. If I start something, I feel like I have to like find out everything I can about that thing before I can stop. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen just like two minutes of a made-for-TV movie and then just realized like, well, I have to sit here for the next three hours now and finish this thing, even though it's the worst movie ever, because I can't, uh, I can't cope without having completion uh, of my understanding of things. So my goal then as a kid was that I was going to read the Bible and I was going to, to read it nonstop by myself until I just knew everything there was to know about the Bible. And that actually... Uh, given the faith tradition I grew up with, that actually was uh, not only really uh, appreciated and encouraged, but my faith tradition was specifically made for that, for some individual picking up the Bible and consuming as much of it as possible. Uh, the tradition I came from, the Bible was kind of like TV dinners, right? I wonder what the, like, uh, I was going to say pilgrims, that's not what I'm looking for, the pioneers, that's the word. <laughs> I wonder what pioneers and other people who worked, who lived long time ago, who spent their time to get their food on the table, they had to go out and they had to, to hunt for it, and they had to go find out where the food was, and they had to hunt the animals, and they had to kill the animals, and they had to prepare the animals, and then they had to cook the animals, and then they were finally able to sit down and eat. I wonder what those people would think of TV dinners, where you look down and everything is kind of there already together. You don't even even really get to pick what it is because they just pick the foods and put them together and then all you have to do is heat them up and consume them. That's kind of how the Bible was in my faith tradition. Everything was already pre-packaged, everything was already ready, everything was already decided. All I had to do was read it to consume it. Uh, and it started with this understanding of what the Bible was and how it came to be. There was this very kind of a linear process, right? So we believed that it all started with God and that God spoke the Bible 
the Bible writings into the ears of the author who would hear the, the word from God and then they would quick write it down before they forgot what God was saying to them. And then when they were done writing down what God had told them, then they would go and they would tell everybody, hey everybody, guess what? I just wrote some scripture Right? And then everybody would know that it was scripture and then the scripture was there and then down the road uh, there were these interpreters and, and in my faith tradition it was pretty much like two or three guys that lived in the like 1500s, right? You had uh, Luther and Calvin being the two big ones and those two guys, they kind of decided what everything meant for our faith tradition and then in the 70s and 80s there were a couple more guys that kind of clarified that, right? But by the time I came to be, uh, in my faith tradition, we kind of already knew everything we needed to know about the Bible. It was all there, it was all ready, and all we had to do was peel, warm it up, peel back the wrapper, and consume. That was the faith that I inherited. The Bible was right there, ready for us. And so that's what I did. I just kept eating and eating and eating, or reading and reading and reading. And after a while, I noticed that I started to get sick from what was going on. And uh, I started to have so many questions about the things that I was reading and the interpretations that I had been given and the things that I was told that I had to memorize and the things that I was told I needed to know. I wondered why when I was reading through the Bible, I would come to some passages that had all, a list of all sorts of kinds of rules and guidelines and that some of those rules uh, we believed that they were just cultural and we didn't need to follow them. And then other rules that were in there, we believed were kind of universal and that everybody needed, needed to do those things. And I didn't get it. And, it. and it didn't really sit well with me to think about it in that way. And I wondered as I was reading why I saw Jesus in the New Testament telling us that we are to love our enemies and we're to pray for those who persecute us. But then I also saw from God in the Bible him telling people to slaughter their enemies, even killing the women and the children and the babies. And I'm reading all of this stuff that's just been kind of handed to me and all the answers that have been given about why those things are the way they are. And it didn't make a lot of sense. And there was a lot of questions. But in that tradition, there wasn't really room for questions. Right? Because everything had already been decided. I mean, God told the guy who wrote it down, who told the other people it was scripture, who told you what it meant. It was all figured out in advance. There was no room for questions. And I just didn't know what to do with it. And it started eating away and eating away to the point that I couldn't take it anymore. Sadly, by the point that I got to where it was bothering me so much, I'd already been a pastor for a while at that point in time, which you can imagine how awkward that made that uh, awakening <laughs> in my life to start to get to that point. And I didn't know what to do. And I almost walked away from all of it. I almost just threw out the Bible altogether and said, this isn't for me. I almost walked away from faith and from church and from everything. But what I really needed at that point was I needed just some good Bible rehab. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this series here is we're diving into re-looking at the Bible. What is it? What does it mean for us? And how do we come to understand it? Last week, Jason was teaching and Jason short shared his story, uh, which we come from some very similar backgrounds. And you might remember what he talked about. And he talked about for him, one of the awakenings that, that he came to realize and came to learn about was the importance of context and how we understand the scriptures, right? 
that it's, the Bible is not some abstract, distant thing that God has given us, but that the Bible and how God speaks to us is God speaks to us and God works in the details, the everyday moments of life, the, the dirt and the grime and, and the actions and the interactions and the relationships and the hellos and the goodbyes, that God is present in the midst of all of those details. And if we, if we take God out of the details of the lives of people who are writing the Bible and the lives of people who are first hearing the Bible, then it's going to leave us misunderstanding a lot that the Bible has to offer. And when I first learned those lessons, when my, my Bible rehab was uh, going back to school. I went back to Bethel for college for my graduate studies there, which completely changed uh, my perspective of the Bible and brought me to a place where I just love and have so much affection for this book now, even though I was in this really weird place. But I remember when I first learned about about the importance of context and how that began to peel back uh, just the, the, the sick feelings that I had and say, hey, there's something in here that if I think about it in this way, in the ways that Jason talked about last week, it makes so much more sense for me. And the thing I want us to talk about today is, is another step, uh, another thing that I learned that gave, gave me so much more hope and so much more life in my interactions with the Bible. And that is this. It's the understanding that the Bible was not this thing that came from individual to individual to individual to me. The Bible is this book that came about through communities of people over centuries, and it is given to us to be understood as communities of people together with each other. It's not about an individual book by individuals for individuals. It's a book that comes out of community and is meant to be read and understood in community. The Bible is a book of community. So let's dive into that uh, today. And to, to dive into that, I want to first start by pulling back the, the individual myth that this was just about God interacting with individuals who wrote it down and individuals who interpret it for individuals to read it. Did you know that most of the authors of the Bible, uh, many, most, did not know that they were writing scripture when they wrote the scripture down? Did you know that? They didn't, they didn't come home from work one day and, and their wife greet them as they walked in the door and say, hey honey, what did you do today? And they were like, oh yeah, God spoke to me and I wrote some Bible today, so you know, like, had that, I think it was a productive day, I got a lot done. Uh, that's not how it worked. And, and we know that's not how it worked because we don't see claims from them of that, of that happening. They, they didn't tell us that they were writing scripture when they wrote the Bible and they didn't tell the others around them that God had spoken to them and they were writing down the exact words from God in the moment when they wrote down the scripture. Instead, much of what we have in the Bible wasn't understood to be scripture for years, if not centuries after the time that it was originally written. It took a long time in, in different times for people to understand how special the scripture that we had was. Because the reality is that there was a lot of writings. Did you know that? As we look at like, things like the Psalms or even the Bible in general, there was a lot more Psalms than the 150 Psalms that we have in our Bible. There was a lot more books a lot more writings than we have just of the writings and letters that are together in our Bible. There was a lot more of them. Did you know that uh, 2 Corinthians, any 2 Corinthians fans in here? Or 2 Corinthians fans for those who really, who are really big fans of it? 2 Corinthians, yeah. 
Did you know that 2 Corinthians actually probably was the fourth Corinthians? It was four Corinthians. Uh, it, it actually probably was the fourth letter that Paul wrote to the people in Corinth, but only two of them made it into our scripture. Only two of them we see as part of our Bible. I wonder if he has like uh, any insecurities about that. <laughs> like, man, those other two, they just were not, not, not up to par. But yeah, so Paul wrote more letters than just the letters that went in there. And David wrote more psalms and songs that were used by the church than just the ones that show up in our Bible today. So how was it that there's all these writings out there? Oh, by the way, in addition to that, did you know there's other faith traditions outside of our Protestant faith traditions? There's other faith traditions that are actually even older than our faith traditions that actually see a lot more writings as inspired by God in scripture for them. There's other people that see more than just the ones we have. And did you know that Luther, uh, Martin Luther, who is considered the father of the Reformation, uh, that Luther actually uh, fought vigorously to say that Hebrews, James, Jude, and Revelation uh, were absolutely not from God and should not be included in our Bible. Did you know that? There was a lot of debate and a lot of wrestling and a lot of confusion and a lot of work to find out what are the writings of all the writings out there. What are the important ones for us? What are the ones that God wants him, us to know? What are the ones that God put himself into? And do you know that those things came about not through individuals deciding, but through communities together? Our scripture came around together as a part of what we could think of as maybe the first viral sharing library. Okay, so here, here's what it was, is you had all of these, all of these writings that, that were going around in the day. Um, so let's take, for instance, C.S. Lewis screw tape letters. Anybody a fan of screw tape letters? A little bit. It's kind of a weird one. I read it when I was a kid. I really appreciated it. So let's take this book and let's take Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thurman. Okay? So let's say I've come across these writings in my community. Okay? So I have these two writings and I pick them up and I read them. And as I pick them up and read through them, the more I read them, the more I see uh, that there just is so much truth in these writings that have come to me. And I read them over and over and I ask God, to, to speak to me while I'm reading the writings. And over and over again, these books, more than any other books I've read, keep coming back to me as showing me God's truth. When I read these books, I see God revealed to me in these books, right? There's these writings, and I decide this. And with my community, we all do this together. So I pass these books on to other people in my community. And as I pass them on to, to my neighbors, hey, have you seen these books? Or for them, it was like, have you seen these two letters from Paul that I got? I got these letters from my friend in the other city because, you know, they didn't actually have, like, abundance of libraries like we have so they would just trade them around when they would go from city to city they would trade around whatever writings they had and so they would come back and say I got these two writings from this neighbor over there and so then they oh, they would read them together uh, and then they would decide as a community whether whether they felt the same way were they seeing God speak to them in this and so maybe as I would go to the neighboring city over here, I would go and I would take them and I would, I would give them these and they would read them and they would say, you know what, Ryan? Like as I read the, as we read these as a community, uh, this one really is speaking to us. And, and, and this book, as we read it, it really is showing us who God is, is revealing God to us. 
It is useful in breathing God's goodness and God's life and God's clarity and keeping us in our walk with God. This is useful. But you know what? This other book, it didn't really connect with us. We didn't see God in it. As we were reading it, it was good, but, but it was just good. But you know what book we have? We have this Hunger Games book. And it, yeah, this is a bad example, but I was just going for my bookshelf, right? <laughs> And, and so, so now we have this book, and, and these are the ones that we've been passing around, and these ones are really good for us. And so they pass it on to the next town that they go to, and the next town's like, yes, these two are really good, and after reading through them, we see God in them, and there's this other letter that we got that you don't even know about, and this letter also speaks God to us, and we see God revealed in this letter, and so they add it to the bunch, and then they get, get, keep getting passed around and passed around and passed around. So by the time it came to deciding what was in the Bible itself as we have it today, which was an act of the church, the church coming together and voting and deciding what books revealed God to them. By the time it came around, we already had writings that had been tried and tested and found good and found true and found revealing of God and who he was. So it made it a lot easier of a process. And as we put them all together, we see as Paul talks to us and says about the scriptures in 2 Timothy 3.16, he noticed all these scriptures we have as God breathed. And they're useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now this is the passage that we get our idea, our understanding of, it, of inspiration out of. But what it says is all scripture we notice is God breathed. Not necessarily God whispered, but where else do we see in the Bible a concept of God breathing onto something, into something? We see it in the creation stories in Genesis that we studied, right? That God takes the dirt, it's just simple dirt, and then he breathes into it, and he breathes this dirt into fullness of life and fullness of the image of God. And so what they're noticing, what was the, the thing of deciding what was good and what was scriptural or not was as they were reading something, did it appear to them, did they notice that God had breathed life into these writings or not? Were these writings useful in helping people understand who God were? Were they useful in teaching and correcting and training us in righteousness. And so through communities, we began to have these writings come together, which eventually shaped our Bible. The Bible came out of the collective discernment, not of individuals, but of communities over a period of time. And as the Bible developed in that way, as a book in community, it began to be discussed immediately in community. People together argued over and talked about and had conversations about what does this book mean for us? What does God want us to see in this book? And communities together and with different communities because, you know, a lot of people had a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different stories. And in bringing their cultures and their stories together, they have been able to have an ongoing conversation through the years of learning together what this Bible means to us. And that is the job that has been handed down to the church today. The Bible came out of community and is meant to be best understood in community. 
We need each other if we're going to see God clearly through these scriptures. We need our differences and the differences of others if we're going to see more and more of God. We cannot just go it alone. I want to do a couple of practices here together. Uh, The first, I want to look at uh, a passage from Proverbs. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from this. How many of you have heard this before? Anybody? Okay. As you see this, how many of you have been taught or have heard uh, or believe personally uh, or know somebody who believes that this is a good promise for us? Anybody heard that before? A good promise? Yeah. Okay. That was something that I heard growing up. How many people, as you see this, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart? How many people see that and say, you know what, in my life, or in the life of some people I know, this has shown itself to be true. I have evidence of this. I I have trained up my children, and they have grown, and they have not departed, or I have seen other people who have done this. Anybody? Yeah, that's good. How many people see this verse... And you think about your own life and your own parenting or, or the lives of maybe somebody else you know and you have experienced or seen people that have trained up their child in the way they should go and the child grows up and the child departs from it. How many of you have seen or experienced that? Yeah. You see, already in this, if we just take our own individual experience for those who have had the experience of training up a child and it worked out well, you're going to see this passage one way, and for those who have had the experience of training up a child and it hasn't gone well, you're going to see this in an entirely different way. We have differences. For us to properly understand passages like this, we have to bring all of our stories and all of our learning and all of our prayers to God and all of our discernment together in unity as we seek to understand what God has for us. Let's also bring in the voice of, of scholars through the years who have looked back on book of Proverbs and says, hey, back in the day, here's the context Jason was talking about, back in the day, Proverbs weren't meant to be absolute statements of truth. Proverbs were generally true statements. As in, it's not 100% certain, but if you want your kid to be a certain way, you should probably lead them a little bit towards that, right? And that statement is generally true, and it's good, and it is helpful as us as parents, and it is helpful as us people who are trying to understand God and in the world. We are thankful to have these truths given to us. But it takes all of those voices coming together if we're going to understand this wholly and rightly together. Does that make sense? The Bible is a book from community to be discerned in community. Right now we're going to take one more step of practice and Dan's going to come back up here and lead us in this. We're going to look at one more passage and then come back and talk about it together and about how all of our differences bring something different to the table here. I was planning on having us share Uh, at this point from how all of our different experiences probably took many of us in many different directions. Uh, We're a little short on time, so I'm going to try to uh, speculate a little bit. (laughs) When I was growing up, as I would have read this passage, uh, I would have seen it and I would have been so encouraged uh, 
that God wants, that Jesus has come to set us free from our sins that entrap us. That Jesus has come to provide freedom for our hearts and for our spirits and our souls. And amen, that's what we believe he's doing and that's what we believe he's done. And that would have been one way that I would have heard this. And that is important. Another way as I got older, as I found myself experiencing more life and I found myself coming out of the sheltered world I grew up in and found myself surrounded by a lot of people that had different life experiences than I did. And I found myself around people uh, who were poor and I found myself around people who were imprisoned and I found myself around people who were oppressed. And having gone through that in life and looking at this passage after that, then I started to see Maybe Jesus really wanted to do something, not just spiritually, but maybe Jesus really wanted to do something about those things. That Jesus was coming to bring actual freedom to us here in this physical world. And that perspective was different than the one in my head before. And then I got closer to some people who were battling addiction and feeling the imprisonment and the lack of freedom, and the pain, and all that came with that. And I know that of any of my friends and close loved ones who battle addiction, that as I read this passage, they cannot read a passage about Jesus coming to bring freedom without thinking about the freedom from the addictions they face daily. And we need their voices as well. We need all of us. We need our differences we can't go it alone if we were to see God clearly. Also, it may have been on a lighter note, it may be that somebody reads this and says, uh, Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, so Jesus wants to set the prisoners free, and as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to go start breaking people out of jail. Right? You may not have heard anybody ever say that, but you surely have heard somebody who has taken some random thing from the Bible and like gone with it, right? And we need all of our differences so as people say stuff like that, we can be like, I don't think that's what he's saying. <laughs> like, I don't know, that that's, I don't know that, that that's where we should go with this, right? So we need our differences, uh, but not saying that all of our differences are true, right? We need all of us together to discern together what is good and what is God reflecting from that which isn't. We need each other. But beyond just needing each other and the differences in our community, we need the differences of those from outside communities. Because you know what? No matter how different we may be, and all of us have different stories in this room, there may be some shared perspectives that we all share together. Uh, we may have some internal bias they would say, that we all share together, that we may miss some major things in Scripture that we don't think we're missing because all of us here, sure, surely if we were missing something, somebody would say it. But no, the case has actually shown itself throughout history that when we don't associate with those who are different from us, we miss major things. If you walk through a library at a university or a seminary, you might notice big sections on theology, which are full of books that people have written about the, the process of knowing and understanding God. Theology is the name of those types of writings. But you may notice next to the section on theology that there are some books 
that are, have been written by women who are talking about wrestling with what does it mean to have a crucified Christ? What does that mean for me throughout history who is feeling only like a second-class citizen? What does it mean that Jesus wants to free the prisoners for me in my situation? And people have wrote those books. Those are next to the theology section in a section called feminist theology that's put off to the side. You might notice some other books that are written by African Americans that are wrestling with what does a crucified Christ have to say about their experience of being held in slavery by Christian slave owners and then experiencing the horrors of the lynching tree and Jim Crow South and, and all that has led to and through the civil rights movement into today. And they would have written their thoughts down and those thoughts would be in a section called Black Liberation Theology. But in the section called Theology are the thoughts and feelings that agree with the predominantly white Western men. They don't get their separate category. That's just called theology. Everything else is put on the side. And that has led the church into inherent biases. The church stood by and actually affirmed our nation's uh, long period of lynching that took place, where a, an African-American person could be walking down the street, could be in the wrong place at the wrong time, or could say the wrong thing to the wrong person, uh, of very minor or no fault of their own, they could be taken by groups of people who would take them out to a tree, and they would throw, make a noose, and they would throw a rope over the tree, and they would put it around their neck, and they would string them up, and they would hang them from the tree. And while they're doing this, they would together sing hymns, oftentimes. And they would take pictures and make souvenir postcards. And they would sell candy for the children. And these weren't the horrible people that were doing this. In many cases, this was the church. We have example after example of stories where churches would be meeting in the church, gathering together, reading the scriptures. They would be reading about the cross and the spiritual things that God has done in their life to bring spiritual freedom to them. And they would get up in the middle of the service and they would go together and they would attend the community lynching together and then they would leave the lynching and they would go back to church together. They were missing all of that. How does the entire church miss it? It's because voices aren't present. They're pushed to the side. And yet, how would it have been different if we considered those voices? There's a voice of a theologian from the time that saw this passage and acts about the cross. He saw this passage talking about Jesus being led to the cross, that they were all witnesses of the things that, uh, they were all witnesses of the things that Jesus had done in the land, and they were witnesses of the fact that Jesus was led to the cross and crucified on the cross. And as he represented that in his paraphrased translation, he didn't write about Jesus on the cross. He ended up writing this instead. If that one goes, is it going? All right, there we go. He ended up writing this and said, he said, we ourselves can testify to all that Jesus did in the land and how they lynched him, stringing him up on a tree. This guy saw it. And when you saw the connection there, when you saw that the, that the cross is not just a symbol of spiritual freedom, that the cross was also a tree on which criminals were hung and tortured, 
you would have seen the connection. Any of them would have seen this connection. And when you see this connection, you can't read that verse and think that the cross only has to do with spiritual things. For those people, it wasn't just spiritual. It was very real. And I wonder what the church would have looked like if instead of having a section of black liberation theology, if we would have just incorporated those things right into plain old normal theology. Could we have had these writings? Could we have read these things and continued to do the things we were doing? But we missed it. We missed it. Friends, we need each other. We need our differences We need the differences of those who are radically different than even those of us who are around us. We need the differences of those who lived hundreds and thousands of years ago looking at these scriptures. We need the differences of our neighbors that live right now, but just with an entirely different story. If we are going to know God, we need each other. The Bible is not a book from individuals for individuals. The Bible is a book that God has breathed life into through community for understanding in community. May we take that with us, our knowledge that we need each other. Let's go ahead and stand as we close today. May you go today encouraged that you have a God who cares enough about you to reveal himself to you through writings. And may you know that you are not expected to go this alone, that, that you have a community around you, and as you pursue that community, you can see and know God more clearly. And may you be filled with his grace and peace. Grace and peace be with you. Have a great afternoon.